0: All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 321. And with that number, we will give a shout out to Kristen Press, Because in her six seasons in NWSL, she logged 321 shots in 85 regular season games, converting 45 of those shots to goals. Press has one of the highest goals per game rates in league history, averaging slightly more than one goal scored every other game she played. And she started both of the USA's recent European friendlies. All right, big episode, because it's a big anniversary this week. If you haven't seen uh, Dan Laletta tweet about it or me tweet about it already, this week is the 20th anniversary of the world's first fully professional women's club soccer game. I'm talking about the first game of the WSA, the first pro league for women in the USA, which was the world's first fully professional women's league. Uh, the game kicked off Saturday, April 14th, 2001, in front of more than 34,000 fans at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. So I did three chats for this episode. Uh, first, of course, I had to speak with my partner in WOSO history, Dan Laletta from Equalizer, about this game. Also spoke with Ann Cook, one of the players from the match, who is now an associate head coach at Penn State. And also spoke with 1991 Women's World Cup champ, Wendy Gebauer, who called that game along with JP Telecamera, and she also called the 1999 Women's World Cup final. So really enjoyed chatting with all three of those people about some ancient history, if you want to look at it that way. But I think it's really important history as we're getting into the ninth season for NWSL. And when we have Angel City come on board next year that'll be the first time that any league will have more than any american pro league for women will have more than 10 teams and i really think it's worth noting that of the angel city ownership three of them played in that wsa inaugural game back in april 2001 no jens planer segment this episode uh because it's because <laughs> i have all these chats but don't worry the jens planer will certainly return Great. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Dan LaLetta from Equalizer Soccer to talk about our favorite subject. Yes, that is women's soccer that has happened years and years and years ago. And Dan, we're talking 20 years ago, right? Because this week, 20th anniversary of what?
1: The first ever WUSA game, which is basically the first ever game in a fully professional women's soccer league anywhere on this planet.
0: And, and sure, uh, there, there were leagues yeah. before that. There, I mean, there were like leagues in in Sweden, Norway, Germany, England, but they were not fully professional leagues. And you know, you even had, uh, you know, national teams and all that stuff. But this was the first fully professional uh, club game for women's soccer. Um, were you there?
1: I was not there. I was at the racetrack that day. <laughs> uh, cuz that was what I betting did. Betting on the, the time. game? <laughs> well, I I that was I was making money at the racetrack, not betting, but I worked there and I watched Congaree win the Wood Memorial that day. Nice. Um, raced home because I had recorded the game on my old trusty VHS. And it's among the most excited I've ever been to watch a sporting event. And I got home, put the game on, and it was about the biggest letdown I've ever seen because the game was just not that good. I mean, it was exciting. You know, there was, you know, it was a league and you had Mia Hamm in the game and Brandy Chastain and they did the Mia versus Brandy. But yeah, it was not a really great game, but it set the tone for a really great league. And I think there are still some elements of that league that lasted three years that we have not seen again and hopefully we will. And obviously, there's a lot of things in the other leagues that have been. Better. But I will also say that looking back, I wish I had been there because Me I too. Just, I, I should have been there. I've been in all the finals, but uh inaugural games. I was at the first NWSL game, which wasn't marketed at all as an inaugural game, but I was there. <laughs> but not that one and not the uh WPS game either.
0: Which was eight years ago this week. April thirteenth, twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, the uh, yeah. Portland and, uh, and Kansas City. And that game might, in some ways, have more significance because you can you trace that back. That's the first Thorns game. They're now one of the top women's soccer brands, if not the top. I think they're probably the top standalone women's soccer brand in the world. Maybe you can argue for some of the the European teams that are umbrella teams with the men's clubs. Uh, And also that's
0: standalone, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's Vlatko Andonovski's first game coaching women for FC Kansas City. That's not insignificant at all.
0: And And now we have soccer back in Kansas City uh, in NWSL. But let's stick stick to WSA because, of course, you and I are good at getting off on on, on tangents. Um, What still stands out for me about that game is over 34,000 fans at RFK uh, in Washington D.C., so it was Washington Freedom. and Washington Freedom hosting Brandy Chastain's Bay Area Cyber Rays, who were later called the San Jose Cyber Rays. And right, because that's when you the when part you're talking the name about, that
1: needed to be changed. Right, was the Bay Area to San Jose? Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with the Cyber Rays because it just it's such a great kind of point in time. Right, but. What, when you're mentioning things that WSA, good parts about WSA that the we haven't seen in the other leagues, I would say one is just full-blown marketing. Um, yeah. And you know, some some may argue because we we saw this narrative a lot in the years after WSA. Oh, they blew through so much money. It's like, well, this stuff actually costs money, right? If you're going to advertise for people to come to games, it, it it costs money. And like any business, there's you know a big outlay before you start seeing income, right? And, you know, I, I feel like the narrative finally flipped on itself where we were in the early years of NDSL going, Oh, my God, they're spending no money, you know, so like players are making what 8,000 for, you know, minimum salary and that kind of stuff to Hey, we actually have to spend money. And, you know, even Bill Predmore said a couple of years ago that he's now spending twice on the rain than what he spent in 2013, right? And it should it's probably more than that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think course. they finally figured, figured out a little bit of a, a happy medium because the interesting thing about the WUSA is, yeah, you had that game at the 34,000, and I wrote about the game for Equalizer Soccer, and Lindsay Barons, who ironically enough now works for the Washington Spirit, and forgive me if I mix up Spirit and Freedom at any point during this, because <laughs> I did it about eight times when I was writing the story, but she went to the game, she had just graduated college, rounded up some friends, and they got tickets, and she said she got near the stadium and was amazed at how crowded it was. And they had to park their car and literally run to get there on time because they just weren't expecting that kind of a crowd. And, uh, you know, right. I also spoke to Brian Strauss, who at the time worked for the Washington Post, now is with SI. He said a lot of people, if you think about the type of audience that was being marketed to, probably a good many of those 34,000 hadn't been to RFK Stadium before, so weren't even familiar With the lay of the land. But the ironic thing about it is that they were probably already digging their own grave in how much they marketed the game. Like it worked out great and maybe they could have gotten away with it for that game. But, you know, as we've talked about over the years, you know, preseason tournaments and I mean, I was in the New York power offices and in midtown Manhattan. And by the third year, they were basically working out of a trailer. At Mitchell Field, so you know it was. Well, cause, yeah, was, you don't
0: you don't need to spend the money back of the house. You need to spend the money, you know, exactly bringing and the so people it, in. Yeah,
1: it was a, you know as great as it was. It was almost like they had already started to seal things in the other direction. That's why I like the way NWSL built up because in the beginning it was really like that first NWSL game. I mean, they, they sold the place out in Kansas City and it was exciting, but there was zero build up for that the first two or three finals i would say certainly the first two were like regular games maybe not even on the level of a regular game in terms of going to cover them and wsa was not like that the first final you know huge party the night before the game huge party the night after the game so i was happy to get a little piece of some of the overspending that that league did
0: well and you know and i don't want the word overspending to be always be negative, right? Because if you're going to push anything, it should be, you know, that inaugural game and, and some of the first Absolutely. Stuff. Um, and
1: the first final. Absolutely.
0: You know, and, and I love that the final was a, you know, predetermined destination so that you could promote it, you know, well in advance. And we also have to remember, too, that all of this was pre-social media. So all of this was Correct. your more traditional grassroots marketing um, advertising the fact that they had a national broadcast deal and several regional broadcast deals with like AT&T, um, regional TV, also SI network when it was still around um, before it even started, right? Like is huge. And when you, when you also put it kind of at a place in time, it benefited a lot from a, a lead up that followed, okay, of the huge 99 World Cup, um, we saw over the course of that next year a lot of really well-attended U.S. friendlies. CONCACAF even did the first ever CONCACAF okay. Women's Gold Cup to take advantage of you know, the interest in the game leading up to the 2000 Olympics.
1: I was at uh, you know, that and the final, w- and they, they passed out flyers at that game that had all the founding players on it by team. And that was right. like August or July or August. They already knew who the founding players were and how to sign them to the team. So that was, that was pretty cool. And that, that, that might be better cross promotion than we've had now with a league that is partners with us soccer.
0: Right. I, I remember that same era going to a state soccer meeting and they handed out uh, luggage tags that said WSA and bumper stickers, you know, nice. and so like coming 2001, right. So that you knew this w- was coming. And of course, NWSL didn't have the chance for a long lead up. NWSL was Sunil Gulati of us soccer going, we got to do something so that these players are domestic. You know, um, WPS had a long lead up, but just didn't have funds. And that's a whole other story. I want to focus uh, on WSA and and that game and that, you know, that 34,000 is still the largest ever attended women's pro soccer game in this country. You know, Portland Portland final. Yeah. Probably will be for a long time. Yeah. Um, That, Portland final in 2018, um, or am I, yeah, yeah 20, eclipsed uh, in, yeah. in 2018, 2018, eclipsed the the record for a championship game, which was previously held by 2001 WSA 21,000, but that was, you know, your home team's in it as opposed to WSA final in 2001, you had more than 21,000 people in Boston for a game featuring your California team and your Atlanta team, um. But again, I think that that speaks to the wisdom of having a predetermined venue for the final that you can market the hell out of if if you've been given the resources to do so. Well,
1: we, we've talked about that enough, but I think your point about yeah. local TV is really interesting too, because you know the uh, the power. And I, you know, I live near the power, so I was at their home games. But they also had a post game spot where they went to called the Tin Alley Grill, where people would go and you'd sit and. Hang out with the team. That's not uncommon, but you could go there and watch road games because the road games were actually on television. And one of the coolest stories I did in my time in WUSA is you probably remember Gru Espeseth, who was a defender from Norway, yes, for the Power, and she had a little problem with yellow cards, so she <laughs> finally got a yellow card suspension and she couldn't go on a trip. I think to San Diego, so I asked her. I said, you know, since you're not going on the trip, can I watch the game with you and do a story? And she said, sure and she just said, you know, come over to my house. And I went and I sat with her and her boyfriend was there. And, um, I think remember uh, her roommate was on, on a Kristen Aranis. Is that her name?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And her
1: boyfriend was there too. She was actually out at the game, but I mean, the game was on television. It wasn't like, well, we need, you know, come and we'll put it on my computer or we'll cast it to my TV. Like we went over and I don't remember what channel it was on. We just put the game on TV. Like it was normal and watched the game together. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool story. But, yeah, the fact that the games were all, I don't know about all, but I think all the power games were on. I know a lot of the other teams had local television deals. And maybe now we're trending away from that as of the future. Because, but,
0: because you have a streaming option in a way that, that, right. that at that at the time you didn't have a streaming option. But I love that it, it forced teams to to push for those regional TV deals because one of the things that I still notice that that streaming – you know isn't going to suffice for is say you go to a bar or restaurant that has a lot of TVs right they're almost always turned on to sports they're turned on to the major channels right so you're not going to get that oh i didn't know there was a women's soccer league moment unless there's actually a game on broadcast tv or cable tv right right there's um, no the bar a bar audience is, yeah a bar is not going to turn on um Turn on a stream. I remember the the first season of Dash broadcasts, uh, the local TV partner for the Dynamo, they would, you know, if they weren't showing a Houston Astros game, they would show the Dash game live. So it was on YouTube and local TV. And they would also replay games. So even the, the following season, I think the week after the Women's World Cup, since it was the all-star game break for baseball, they replayed every Dash game so far twice, right? Just like constantly running. And I would have people come up to me and go, oh, I saw you on TV. And I'm thinking, I was, you know, you only see me on air for maybe like three right. minutes, right? But it's like, that tells me that there's a lot of places where they just leave that channel up, right? Because it's a sports channel. And Absolutely. Big, you know you know, and not that you can't get fans other way, but but I love the value of the passerby incidental awareness. You know, to, to me it's this, the same reason that merch should always be a big bu- big push for all teams and especially in their primary color, right? So that there's constantly people walking around your city wearing stuff that's like, oh, Orlando Pride, what's that? Oh, you know.
1: Absolutely. Kansas you gotta city, get what's it. In, that? You gotta- Got to get it in your head. I mean, how many of us just walk around singing random jingles that we hear on TV? You don't even know <laughs> what you're yeah. singing, but it just—it's yeah. in your head so much. If you want to get back to the game for a second, though, there were a couple of moments in the game. Tell
0: me, tell to, me the moments because I do—I well. do have the first half of it up on YouTube. That—that's I mean, there's I, basically two have. in
1: the first half. Lindsay Stacker took out Tisha Venturini
0: mm-hmm. like
1: midway through the half, and Venturini unfortunately wound up breaking her arm, and then Stacker got books and that was the first yellow card in the league and it oh, wasn't a bad that. injury. So Venerini came back relatively soon, wound up scoring the big equalizer in the final that yeah. helped the Cyber Rays win the title. And then, you know, after like, you know, cause you watch these inaugural games and everyone, especially back then don't let the game be zero, zero cause everyone makes fun of the zero, zero
0: yeah. draw. Yeah.
1: And like, and like 75, 80 minutes, you're like, all right, something really weird has to happen for there to be a goal here. And eventually, um, Lo and behold, Brandy Chastain fouled Mia Hamm in a pen, in the penalty know. box. And I think it was the 88th minute when Pretinia stepped up and took the shot. And something I forgot until I talked to Brian Strauss and he reminded me was there was a lot of consternation after that about Mia Hamm not taking the penalty kick. And I know it's somewhat part of the unwritten rules that if you draw the foul, Maybe you don't take the kick. And Mia ham was always, you know, that ultimate, like, let me defer to and my it, teammates. It also depends on but the team, people, too, like because I know absolutely. some teams are
0: like, whoever drew it gets to decide whether or not
1: right. they take and, it. And some people, Brian included, think that should be mandatory, that if you get fouled, you know, like in basketball, you get fouled, you take the free throw. You, you know, in hockey, you get brought down, you take the penalty shot. A lot of people think that should be the rule in soccer as well, but it didn't necessarily go over well that Mia Hamm had a chance to be the one to score the goal. And she turned it over to Pretinia. And I guess if you're Pretinia and you want to be remembered, it's a good thing um, because she didn't have a really great run and didn't come back after that first season. But uh, that that's something that I didn't remember. But it was really interesting because it was Brandy versus Mia and they were both you know, saying, you know, it's our teams and blah, 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 and it's not me versus her, even though at least yeah. in that case it was a forward against a defender. I don't know how much they – met up during the game, but yeah, Brandy actually took me down in the box. Uh, penalty kick and the freedom, freedom, Washington freedom, won it, won nothing.
0: Coached by Jim Gabera.
1: Jim Gabera.
0: Who up until 2019 had coached every season of women's pro soccer in this country.
1: Yep, never, never missed a week. He, he was yeah. there, he was freedom, and then, uh, not only that, but I want to say this about Jim. Um... He did a lot to keep things alive in that Washington, D.C. area in between the yes. uh, WUSA and WPS. I know he gets a bum rap a little bit maybe for the way things ended in Washington, but he really did an awful lot of work. And I'm not saying you – know, I mean he's not like a savior or anything, but the freedom never went away after WUSA Folded. Right, And, and right. that was in large part because of the work that he did. And they were in the W League and won a title and then they were relevant again until the Hendricks pulled out after 2010.
0: And, you know, a lot of players participated in that W League freedom, you know, like oh, yeah. Becky Sauerbrunn.
1: Yep. That's basically how she got started.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit more about WSA. Sand topic was we're not very good at doing. <laughs> um, but <laughs> such a huge game. Um, I feel like that it it got a lot of attention, right? Because they had done so much marketing and you had, you know, the national teamers in it. Um, You know, clearly they picked that game to start things off for a reason. Whereas, you know, NWSL, every team played the first weekend as opposed to WSA. That was the only game that weekend. Everyone else started the following weekend. Um, You know, you had all the national teamers there in Washington, D.C. or rather the founding players, which represented the um, the 20 World Cup players from 1999 and the four additional players that were part of the original allocations you know to the teams um,
1: right well the, the thing it was 20 were considered founders
0: right but remember right. the twenty four were just the allocations
1: it was five additional though because oh, acres oh, yeah, didn't cause, play because acres didn't play yeah yep.
0: yeah. Yeah, if you ever want really hard trivia—not for Dan, of course—but really hard trivia is, you know, can you name the three allocations to each of the original WSA teams in 2001? So I don't
1: want to bore your listeners, but I'm sure you yeah. can do
0: it. No, no, you're not. You're not going. They're just going to email me if they know the answer. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, <laughs> they're not easy. Though. Like, like Philadelphia no. is pretty tough.
0: No, they're not easy. And I also think too about the eight teams. You know, the eight cities that that had teams. Uh, you know, one thing I, I don't think a lot of people realize is that it's not like there was a lot of research or investigation into where teams should be. Right. It was yeah, these investors.
1: The owner or in the stadium.
0: Well, it was these investors choosing where they already had offices or, or connections getting to, to, to choose cities. Right. So Hendricks is based in D.C. Of course, his team's in D.C. Cox Communications had. Different cities. Time Warner had a couple different cities, right? Right. Um, so one of the original teams was supposed to be in Orlando, uh, originally the called the Orlando Tempest, right? And then they weren't able to find a venue. So by the end of 2000, they're like, "Okay, we're moving this one to Carolina," right? And and it wasn't they played
1: Acre, the old. acres Hall. allocated there? And then decided. Yeah, to she was allocated. Then, she
0: was allocated to the Florida team. Because she would have been living in Florida because she was living in Florida. And when right, they and made that move, she's like, I can't, you know, I can't do that. And this.
1: Overbeck had been pregnant and rushed back, I think, to be no, part of the courage? No, she
0: was, she was intending to. Uh, she, okay. she got she got pregnant between, I mean, she had her second kid between the 2002 and the 2003 season. But yeah, but, uh, but Overbeck okay. said, yeah, okay, now you're moving it to my backyard.
1: Right, so, okay. I know yeah, she wasn't yeah. involved originally and in Aikers right. was.
0: Right, you know, and, and when I think about it, like the difference between WSA and then WPS where you had cities making proposals to, you know, a long-term plan of, you know, do you want to be in here? And then NWSL is kind of a weird hybrid of obviously 2013 was whoever, uh, you know, Sunil Galati could get to submit a, a reasonable plan within a short timeframe, right? Um, but then the the expansion landscape has changed a lot over the years so now you know we're in a position where hey you actually have to have some money and the venue and there's more venues to choose from right like look i'd say that's one of the biggest differences is sure rfk was great for thirty-four thousand for your inaugural game and and maybe a final if they had had you know a final there but week in week out even with the freedom having the highest average attendance like it was too expensive a venue. They were not the most profitable team, even with the highest attendance, because the cost of that venue, you know, we know um, from the, the WSA podcast from a few years ago that, um, you know, about the history of it, that, you know, they spent a couple million on the the San Diego venue to turn it into a usable venue. You know, that's Torero Stadium at University of San Diego, which is nice 7,000-seater, well, little... right?
1: I'll give you a little tidbit about that, because I spoke to Vicki Lynch, who just got hired by the uh, Chicago Red Stars, and she had been the first employee ever of the San Diego Spirit. The San Diego Spirit doesn't make the Freedom Spirit thing in Washington even more confusing. Um, (laughs) Nice. But she said that they actually had to hold the gates closed for about 15 minutes on opening night because they were turning a crane around. (laughs) <laughs> that was by the seating area like that's how tight it was when they did that construction project to be ready to go
0: yeah for, and, and for when you, you, night. yeah you think about all of the soccer specific stadiums that we take for granted now oh at that point what columbus crew had opened theirs in 99 or 2000 Nine,
1: 99 yeah
0: yeah home depot opened in 2003 you know so like there weren't a lot of venues to choose from. And now we're seeing a lot more because of the, the, the growth of USL um, a lot more of kind of mid range stadiums, right? Like, like Louisville opening up Linville or I mean, debuting at Lynn family stadium this past weekend, right? It's a beautiful 15,000 seater.
1: Anyway, another Brian Strauss point, I don't want to give him too much credit, but <laughs> as well as the freedom did two things about it, actually what his point, as well as the freedom did at the gate, it was hard for them to sell advance tickets because the venue was so big and they didn't necessarily downsize it. Like, you know, they didn't tarp it off or make a low capacity. So you didn't have to worry about getting tickets. So if it rained or something came up, you just didn't go. You knew you could go there and buy tickets. But the other thing was that there was an absolute Mia impact around that league. And I wish I had the numbers, but I think every team's most, their best-attended home game in 2001
0: yes. was when
1: me Hamm Cameron, I remember the day that they played the New York Power, and I think they only played them once that first season. Cause it was a schedule where they did three games against each team, so it was one home, two away, and then they switched it. Right. It rained all day, and about 5 o'clock, the sun came out. They opened the gates, they sold out Mitchell Field, 10000 more than ten thousand people and it was a great night great game mia ham was there thrilled everybody and about 20 minutes after the game thunder and lightning came over and the <laughs> downpour but the skies cleared out for mia uh, but that was a real thing that was a marta effect in wps but it wasn't as big there was not a marta i mean there was not a marta effect in wps
0: mia. dan there was not There was
1: not, the erosic not, not nearly. Not no, not nearly, nearly as much. No. But she moved the needle a little. Mia Hamm yeah. moved the needle a lot.
0: Uh, I mean, because FC Gold probably talked about when they picked up Marta's contract for 2010. Oh, I just mean the first, the, only, oh, the, first the first
1: season. Only that the first sense. season. That
0: makes sense. Yeah, I, I went to a Cyber home game the first season, 2001, and they were hosting the Freedom. And it yeah, it was easily 17000 at Spartan Stadium. And yeah, it was all... It was all for that, and I remember there's even fans going, you know, why don't they have you know something set up so we can all get her autograph? And I'm thinking, yeah, all seventeen thousand people, uh huh. Yeah. That that's yeah. that's how that works. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Well, la- last thoughts on April fourteenth, two thousand one, and just really the the birth of real women's professional soccer.
1: You know, it was a great day for the sport because it you know it got the sport on its feet on a professional level because I think if you you know if you watch a lot of Olympics, any sport can grab the attention of the country for a right. week or a month or whatever right. it is. So yeah, the ninety nine World Cup was great, but that didn't necessarily mean that, oh well there's gonna be a successful league. And one of the questions I was asking people when I was working on my story was, you know, are you more proud to have been a part of that league or more sad that the league didn't work out, you know, or, you know, for people not directly involved in it, you know, was that league a necessary step to get to where we are now? Or, you know, should we be talking about the 20th anniversary of the Washington Freedom? And should the Freedom and Cyber Rays be playing a game on the (laughs) 14th of this year to honor that? And I think it's a really difficult question to answer because you probably needed to get that league going when they did to capitalize... On the momentum, yes. and they certainly could have made better business decisions, but I also think that you know we were not quite ready at that time for the week to week. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that question, but I think that it's a it's a fascinating one to ponder as you look back across the history. And hopefully we're finally at a point where we don't have to worry about the next league. uh, It looks like we have one. I mean, it it looks like this league survived the global pandemic. So we can do that. You know, you can do anything, right?
0: Well, especially falling into that window after 99 and on also the, the fervor, you know, the, the 2000 Olympics, like that was an important time to launch You know, if you had waited much longer, you know, I don't think you would have, you know, been able to, to make it happen, right? And and it it is a great question. It's like, do we want, you know, should it be 20th anniversary or should it be, you know, or was it a necessary step? But I I think you know, for for me the one thing that trumps any questions or arguments about that that first league is if you look at MLS in the same at the same time, you know, who, who launched their league just really just 5 years prior, right? They lost more you know, in in the first year, than, you know what WSA lost in its three seasons of the league plus a year leading up to it. Well, right? And if you want to, but the difference to... is, but the difference is, private pockets versus public companies funding. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you yeah.
1: want to simplify it, MLS for a long time had like three people propping up the yeah. league, and that's what WUSA yeah. had, but they pulled out, and the ML you know, well, but, uh, but even even Hendricks' on-
0: pockets weren't deep as you know, like like. We never had a billionaire uh, attached to WSA, correct? Right? And, and you had, and I mean, bottom line, this to me, this trumps everything. You had three billionaires: Robert Kraft, Phil Anshitz, Lamar Hunt, that were willing to fund MLS right. as long as it had to go. So, and
1: they didn't have to, but they saw what was in the future. And I right. don't think, ev- I don't think, even if the WSA owners had that kind of money, though, that they were in it. Yeah, for the long haul. Once they,
0: I yeah, I, th- I think they money. were a a little oversold on the. Oh my God, look at those crowds from '99. We're going to make so yes. much money, and it, and it's like that's never a good business plan if you think it's just easy and, money that comes right away. And
1: and the other thing is, if you look back through the history, I believe that the Abbey goal in 2011 did more to help promote women's soccer in the United States. Than the '99 World Cup. You know that's controversial, and I don't think it would have happened without the '99 World Cup. I think a lot of the '99 World Cup people are off the ship right now, and I think the Abbey goal, and you know a little bit earlier, maybe it would have been enough to save WPS, but I think that goal is the seminal moment that really is responsible for NWSL.
0: Yeah, Nothing well, and, again,
1: it wouldn't have happened goal, 99, but I think it yeah. did more than 99 did.
0: And that goal happened in the era of social media. That goal broke Twitter.
1: Absolutely. And in the middle of the day on a weekend and, you mid- know, yeah,
0: the... yeah, yeah. Nothing's going on. It was it was like mid midday Sunday.
1: Yep, it was. Yeah, absolutely. And it was I mean, look, they didn't even win that World Cup. I don't know how many people even realize that they didn't win that World Cup. <laughs> but that, yeah, that that go that is the seminal moment in the history of women's soccer in this country
0: to me yeah to me that's one of those moments where like people who who started following WOSO. so it was that goal the 2015 win the 2019 win and a little bit of the 2012 olympics but it's mostly it, one of those one of those three world cups well and
1: the abbey goal was tangible you could turn on like sports center or the local news and see it and feel it whereas 99 world cup was great and I guess maybe Brandy taking her shirt off might have had that impact, but that wasn't a sporting moment. It was kind of well, like the it, ancillary and, impact, and it, but there was it nothing have, about that game to look back on.
0: Yeah. And it wouldn't have like the, the social media traction. And that was a pretty rough scoreless game. I, that, that's what I remember. Yeah. I, mean, the,
1: the, I mean, people, you know, before I get yelled at, the Lily clearance off the line is one of the most my favorite moments ever in sports, but yeah, I don't think you turn on like the nightly news and like, Oh, look at this line. Yeah. Thing. like Christine Lilly, let's start a pro league. Well, <laughs> and know? they
0: don't, they don't, they don't talk about either too, that uh, they were unable to warm up on the field before the game because they did a doubleheader of the third place game right. in the final and the third right. place game had to go to PKs, So they hadn't planned for that. And then it no, was like
1: that game either.
0: Yeah. And so like, and to get TV, you know, they had to do it pretty early in the day. So I think it was like, what a noon, uh, like 12, 30 yeah, kickoff early. on the West coast. It had to
1: be, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so, you,
0: so those, those players were wilting. Right. And it really wasn't until Michelle Akers had to leave the game at the end of regulation, uh, the thing started to open up because, you know, we, we lost our our big defensive wall. But that's a whole other discussion. Let's end this yep. one while we can before we really lose our minds about Woe So, But Dan, as always, thank you for wandering down memory lane with me and occasionally agreeing with me. Anytime. All right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Ann Cook, who is the associate head coach at Penn State for women's soccer. But more importantly, Anne, you played in the world's first fully professional women's pro league game 20 years ago this week. Don't want to make you feel old, but too late. We all all feel old. Um, And I wanted to talk to somebody from that game who wasn't the names that people still know, right? Like a Mia Hamm or a Brandy Chastain, but like the, uh, for lack of a better phrase, the bread and butter players that <laughs> made WSA work, right? When the national teamers were gone and, and a player who's still actively involved in the game now, like you coaching at Penn state and, you know, any nwl fan knows the effect that uh, Penn state has had on this league. So, so l- let's go back, you know, late nineties, you graduated from William and Mary in 97, just a couple of years later, we have the 99 women's world cup, you know, explosion of interest in women's soccer. And then what was it like six, eight months later is the announcement that there's going to be a pro league At, when that happened, were you thinking, Oh, wow, I could do this. You know, I could leave whatever first job I've had and, and try to make a go of it.
2: Well, um, yeah. And, and first of all, thank you so much for, for having me on. It's fun to, to get to talk about these things, although my, my memory kind of stinks. I'm going to say that right up front. Um, tw- it turns out 20, 20 years ago was a really long time. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I was really fortunate in that right out of college, I uh, was, was called into uh, a couple of national team camps. And so I, I heard the buzz about the league, um, it, back in kind of 97, 98, in the lead up to the World Cup, they the founding right. the founding, the founding, the founding players were in in you know conversations and um like moving down the road um to to actually making this um making this league happen, and so uh, just because of those conversations, I was able to kind of stay out of the real world and um and. Nice. and hold on to hope. So um, I I did end up leaving a coaching job. I was really fortunate um, that that my the ad at the time um was was you know really supportive and and that kind of thing because i had it had mentioned that if this actually came to fruition that that i and i was fortunate enough to be drafted that i would be um really interested in going and so i was able to do that but you know it was it was a lot of work from a lot of people over several years um to to make it happen and we were all you know the beneficiaries of that for sure
0: and you know timing comes into play so much right like and we've seen the same thing with WPS and NWSL especially I feel like the lost generation that didn't have a league you know between WPS and NWSL so it's like to be the beneficiary of that timing where you know like I said you hadn't joined the real world yet you knew this was possibly coming and then they had that huge Huge combine in December 2000. Uh, what it was a couple hundred players, maybe, maybe more. Um, and then had the first general draft. Yeah. Um, did you participate in that?
2: I did. I did. It was, uh, an incredible event The kind of the, the whole thing, I, I, I do have vague memories of that. And it was, (laughs) it it was wild. It was, it was a really cool opportunity. Um, and, and, and fun, The, the level of play as I remember it, um, was, was pretty good. And, you know, and, and for me, it had been a couple of years really since I'd, um, been in that kind of environment. So it was, it was really exciting. And then they, they did a nice job with the draft. Um, I was able to be there on that day. It was, um, it was, very professionally done and it kind of made us all like oh oh actually this this might it's happen and it, and it might happen well
0: <laughs> oh. and it's the biggest draft we've ever had for women's soccer because it was seeding the entire league right it yeah was the very beginning they just said let's bring as many of the you know seasoned players as we know are out there together do this combine and then do You know, one big draft separate, of course, from the the founding players and some international players, but, uh, you know, went 15 rounds and you were first picked by the Bay Area Cyber Rays, you know, in, in the fourth round. Do you have any memory of your name being called?
2: I do. It was um, it was right after they took a break after the third round. So I think as I recall, the way it it worked was I was somewhere around the 25th player picked, but Mm -hmm. I, I had hoped to go higher. And so at the break, I was like, oh, my God, this isn't happening. I can't. I like. I'm. I'm gonna play. I can't believe it. You know, like there, nobody's gonna pick me, whatever. And then I was the very next one to go. So, <laughs> um, all that worry for nothing. But um, but no, it was it was really exciting and and just a, an awesome awesome honor. Um, I also remember calling my my family, uh, right after like leaving you know leaving the room, having taken the the quintessential picture of the cyber raised jersey or scarf or whatever it was. And right. And then calling my family and being so excited to tell them. And they're like, oh wait, that was today? Like, "Uh (laughs) oh great. So it it fell a little short of what you see on the NFL drafts, but um you gotta start somewhere. it, It was it was still pretty spectacular. They did a really good job with it.
0: And then you were on the Cyber Rays with, of course, Brainy Chastain, the great CC from the 99 World Cup, Katya, Mm -hmm. Julie Murray, the Australian. I loved watching her that that first season. Uh, Kelly Lindsay, who's now coaching, you know, the Moroccan national team, Rikisha Bean, who ended up making the national team. And I love that they chose Washington Freedom and the Bay Area Cyber Rays to be the inaugural game played at RFK, of course, you know, thinking of the marketing of Mia versus Brandy. So, yeah, you know, you got to play in that game, um, you know, at RFK, more than 35,000 fans, still the largest attendance for any women's club game in, in this country. Do you have any memories left of that game or it just <laughs> so amazing that, you know, you've blanked it all out?
2: I I do remember that day somewhat. Well, I don't, I, sadly, I don't remember the actual soccer that particularly well, <laughs> other other than to to remember thinking it was a bit of a snooze fest and then it, kind of an unfortunate way to start what you know should have been a really exciting um like yeah, you a, you want gold, day for the, hard, the game of game. soccer yeah. yeah um but I, I do remember the day fairly well and and um, and, and the first thing that that I always comes to mind. And and I I tell people first is the, the lead up to the game, um, in the hotel. And, and I I don't know how many of my, my teammates remember this, but it's, it's very clear in my mind. We were all so nervous and there was such this, like just nervous energy as we were preparing for the game. And, you know, and some of that is necessary preparation and some of it is literally just waiting for time to pass. And, um, (laughs) sitting in a a teammate's room and we were all kind of nervously chattering and flipping through the, the TV channels that we, we settled on the, um, the channel that was going to be carrying our game. And, um, it was playing a league of their own, the movie. And in the, in the the corner, there was a spinning little soccer ball that said, you know, coming up next a league of their own soccer version sort of thing. And, and I just remember like it, it, it kind of made my stomach drop and it was, it was, I think all honestly, like we had just been so caught up in all of the training and all of the preparation and things like that. And it was it was the first time that I had taken a step back and thought, Oh, this is maybe a little bit historic what's happening it's not just like my next game (laughs) um so it was it it was pretty it it was it was kind of a cool moment um the other thing i i remember like it was yesterday is the um standing at at um out on the field after the intros and the um the anthem and the eagle flying in during the anthem was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, they had had one of the, you know, the the eagle start up at the top of RFK and then fly down oh, to somebody wow. holding his finger out at midfield, and it was it was pretty awesome.
0: Oh, that's better than a flyover or parachute. It's,
2: I I definitely thought so. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Um, less, a lot less noisy, uh, but uh, but but pretty neat.
0: <laughs> And that season was such a miracle season for the Cyber Rays. I mean, start a rough start (laughs) to the beginning of the season and then making this incredible run, get to the final. Which uh, unfortunately equalized like twice, right? Like, yeah,
2: three, three,
0: and then PKs. But, But what, what unfortunately?
2: Oh sorry I was saying unfortunately the uh, the turn and tide of our season just I think happened to coincide with me going out of the lineup <laughs> No no I don't
0: believe it <laughs> uh,
2: yeah yeah no it was uh, it was an awesome season and I, I I actually I learned a lot um from Brandy and that in that time period that that I think about a lot as a coach and just her her willingness when, when things were going poorly, her willingness to seek advice from lots of different sources and, and try to like, just the, the growth mindset rather than like kind of feeling sorry for herself or for her team. And, and, you know, just maybe even doubling down on working harder herself, her, her growth mindset of looking around for, Hey, I I know somebody who's been of in in this has had a similar experience and turned it around like what can i learn from that person it was a um a really cool thing to watch actually
0: well and i remember at the time um one of the the storylines was hey the national teamers are so used to playing with each other and now they're playing <laughs> you know against each other and Getting fans to to start following teams and not just national teamers, and that, and that's remained sometimes a challenge as the women's national team just gets bigger and bigger in popularity, and you lose like somehow it doesn't always translate to to following clubs. Sure. But I I loved watching the different clubs do their own marketing and identity. And I thought that like the team names were great. I mean, some people, if I say Cyber you know, they're like, what (laughs) are you talking about? But I love that it was so specific, not only to the Bay Area geographically, but also the time and place in terms of, you know, 2001 cyber, you know, Silicon Absolutely. Valley, kind of like, like it, it's just, it's so specific, you know, yeah. and, and the great purple jerseys and of course, soccer head who I miss the guy with the, oh, you know, the man, soccer ball tattooed exactly. on his head, yeah. you know, stuff he like was, that. It's great. And yeah. so much learned from those, those years, right? So like, I, I want to hear what what was 2002 and then 2003 like for you as a pro having had experience of 2001, right? Like as the league is learning, you also have like you're talking about, you know, Brandy learning and you and learning, you know, so you were traded to Washington Freedom and then traded back to the, the Cyber Race having very different experiences. Of course, the Freedom making it all the way to the final in 2002 and then, you know, back with the Rays in 2003. So what what were those years like for you?
2: They, you know, they, they were hard. I think, um, the, for, for, for me personally and my personal journey, I was struggling as a player. I was, you know, trying to learn how to be a pro and and should have learned faster in retrospect. And, you know, and, and had I, if I had it all to do over again, I would do things quite differently. Um, but you know, those years in the league, um, Kind of trying to find its identity, trying to etch out a, a space in the sport world um, it was a it, definitely a challenge. Um, it was, you know, I, I personally loved and especially now, again, as a as a coach in my my current life, I loved having the opportunity to play with two very different leaders in, in Brandy and Mia and both incredible in their own right, but what different styles they had. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I spent, I think a fair bit of time and energy studying those two and just kind of how they, how they did things. And, you know, again, I, I wish that I'd learned more from them <laughs> um, and and was able to apply it a little bit more as a player, but um, both in, you know, just great leaders
0: and you know, being a coach now, especially a college coach, does does it give you any street cred with your players that you actually played professionally three years in the first league, or do they have no awareness of it whatsoever?
2: I don't think they have much idea. No, um, <laughs> I. Uh... I, we, we were, we're really short on numbers this spring. We've had some injuries and, um, we had a, a few kids in the, in January out with, uh, with COVID and, you know, my 40 something year old body had to step in and play, um, Ouch. a few, a few times. And, and the number of players that were like, Ann, you know, you're okay. It's like, you guys, <laughs> That you have no idea, like thank you, but you have no idea actually how much that hurts me. (laughs) Your surprise, (laughs) the surprise in your voice is painful to me. Um so no, I don't think it gives me I don't think that gives me street cred. What gives me street cred is that it is when they realize that I played with Brandy, Mia, and Abby, I think then then they're like, Oh, okay. And the ones that are actual like like soccer heads and and kind of watch the game um cc also brings me quite a bit of, of street cred but the uh yes. you know just the the fact that i played in the first league they don't they don't care about
0: doesn't doesn't register now, Not really with, no. your, with your experience from those three seasons in wsa i mean do you think about as you're coaching and mentoring these players knowing that a fair amount of penn state players have have gone on into nwsl and and elsewhere in the pros like can, can you use that knowledge to benefit them? Do any of them ever ask you, you know, as they're approaching the draft, what they should do or, you know... We
2: have conversations about it um, on the regular, for sure, with the the players that I I believe will will go on and play. A bit of an interesting paradox here, I think, in that one of the things we pride ourselves on at Penn State is our family atmosphere and how much we um, how supportive we are of our players, how much we try to build their confidence, and you know, and and make this this experience in in four-year journey or five-year journey or whatever it ends up being be a really positive one and one that you know they they leave not only as a better player but as a better person and you know and all of those kind of touchy-feely warm heartstring kind of things um those are things that we take great pride in but in my opinion <laughs> those are also things that that make the the jump to the pros particularly challenging for for a player because mm-hmm as a pro you you're on your own to a large degree and yes eventually you you form a team and you know in the in the, the most successful teams have that that feeling of of family and i've got your back and i'm going to support you but at the heart of it it is it's it's you it's you bringing your best every day. And, um, it's you fighting for your job every day. And and that's that to some degree. Um, yes, we have a competitive environment here, but at the end of the day, I, I think that, that our environment is one of, of support and love and family and all of those things. And so, um, sometimes those things do run a little bit counter. And, and so I have, I have conversations with the, the players that, that want to, to go on and play um, as regularly as possible. And, you know, and it's hard to paint those pictures, but we now have a, a good chunk of pros who, who come back and we make sure to, to have those, you know, that we get our current players um, with those guys as, as much as, as the rules allow and, uh, and let them share kind of those same, those same feelings, and and give them the, the pointers and and you know different ways of of dealing with that because that is a I think right out of the gate is is the thing that I felt the most was like oh man okay like yes I you know m- my teammates are quote unquote here for me but at the end of the day it is it is me fighting for my job
0: right and and I think that's one of the just really interesting conundrums of you know being in professional sports where you have to be a team and fight for yourself at the same time. Yeah,
2: it is. I have a, you know, I I have a huge respect for professional athletes and, and, you know, and there are a lot of things that, um, that I didn't have enough um, understanding of or respect for until I was, you know, living that life. And it is, there are some, some real challenges and, and you know certainly challenges. It's a, they're all a privilege. <laughs> Don't get right. me wrong. But uh, but things that you know that I had largely taken for granted.
0: And then now when we look at not just NWSL, but the national team, that you know these players have had you know more competitive opportunities. You know when you, when you think of the players that have come out of the league. You know that would not we would not have seen on the national team without the league, right? Like Jessica yeah. McDonald or, yeah. or Lynn Williams, so awesome. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that you know we're you're just building that depth for the U.S. national team pool. Um, you know, it, it's got to make your your players feel really proud when they're watching a U.S. game. You know, like the the game today against France, if, if they watch, it and those it like, hey, that's that's a Nittany Lion and goal.
2: <laughs> right yeah it's awesome it's awesome um and you know alyssa is easily one of the the very best representations of of this program um that you could ever imagine she is is su- just such a stud all around
0: and then I think too, of a player like Rocky Rodriguez. Right, who yeah. um, you know not only helped Penn State win its first NCAA title, but you know you don't even think about it. it's like she's going to a university where everything is in her second language.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right, so <laughs> like, she's like it's amazing. She's incredible. No, she is. She's incredible, and and you know we. Um, if, I, tell You Rocky's Rocky's got a, a really cool story all around, but um, but she, you know, she's she is kind of that generation of Costa Rican who like is fighting a lot of the same battles with her federation that the Mias and Brandys and Carlos were fighting with with our federation back, you know, however many years ago. And um, and, and so I you know it's it's so amazing for her to get to, you know, to be in this league, to be around these players and to understand kind of what's going on here um and what went on in order for her to you know to to kind of help foster change in in costa rica
0: yeah kind of take take all those experiences and and stories back and and Keep yeah, spreading, you know, spreading the for the for the good of the game, for the well, good of the game. Last question for you. Um, I don't know how much time you actually have to ever watch into yourself because I know college <laughs> soccer coaches just have insane schedules. But, you know, when when you're watching, you know, are is there a certain kind of player you're looking for, or or that you enjoy watching, or do you have any favorite teams, or it's just like, wow, look, there's Penn State players, or you're just enjoying that it's, you know, women's pro soccer.
2: I think a little of, of all of that. I don't have a favorite team. I can't choose favorites. Um, You know, there for a while, we had so many players like we kind of were calling Portland, the Penn state of the West. Um, (laughs) But they have since dispersed a little bit. Um, And so, no, I don't have a favorite team. I, I try my best to follow um, all of our players as much as I can, i don 't do nearly a good as as good a job as i should um but mostly i I am just so happy that it's it's surviving and you know and it's it's it still in the rollout phase, in my opinion, um, there's obviously lots of the, of things that can be improved and can can continue to progress. But just the fact that it's it's still here, it still is giving every little girl in this country who plays soccer a, a thing to dream about is um, like a tangible thing to dream about. It, it is just such a gift. It's great
0: it always hits me each year that we add to to the league that it's like, wow, here's another cycle of college players that have known that NWSL is a possible profession post-graduation. Right. Right. That, that it's not like the the first cycle of players where it's like, well, hopefully it'll still be around by the time I graduate. Right.
2: Exactly. (laughs) No, exactly. And that, that is a real shift in just in the last few years. Like now it is, When we recruit players, they are like, you know, I want, I want to play in the NWSL when I'm done. And and before it was like, well, you know, if there's a league, I would love to play in it. Right. (laughs) Um, And and that's (laughs) that's a that's a major difference. So it's it's really exciting. And what's going on overseas is really exciting. Just that, that you know, there are more sustainable leagues, more sustainable teams, and it it can, um, it can be a living, um, you know, and still a somewhat meager one, but but definitely something that is sustainable for, um, for a person's career.
0: And it all started 20 years ago this <laughs> week. Well, Anne, thank Crazy. you so much for taking the time to share your memories and, and thoughts with me and good luck with Penn State in the upcoming NCAA tournament.
2: Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Great. Right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Wendy Kabauer, 1991 Women's World Cup champion and broadcaster for not only the 1999 Women's World Cup final, but hey, Wendy, you got to call the very first, the world's first fully women's professional soccer league game. So I know that makes us both feel old to think that it was 20 years ago this <laughs> week. Um, but but let's start off with some some. What what sticks out in your brain when you think about uh, that WSA game at RFK in two thousand one?
3: Well, you know, I think um, I remember it being a beautiful sunny day, and I and I also remember just an incredible crowd. I I think it was over, I feel like it was over like thirty thousand, and so we were sort of you know riding that wave coming out of the ninety nine World Cup, um, and it felt like that felt normal to me. I think just you know with uh, with seeing. Um, all the excitement around the 99 World Cup, Um, but it was, it was, um, you know, I remember it being such a big moment. Um, You know, we were talking a lot about Mia and Brandy and being matched up against each other, which would obviously, and even today, still two of the most recognizable names in the sport. Um, Right. Yeah. It just, just really seemed to be the perfect moment um, for it. Everything kind of came together. It was just wonderful.
0: Well, and I remember, um, you know, Billie Jean King was there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and it's mm-hmm. funny that, you know, 20 years later, she's still having influence, right? Like she's the one that kind of said to Naomi Osaka, like, hey, you know, if you really want to do something to change things, why don't you become an owner? And hey, you know, Osaka is part owner of, of the North Carolina Courage, which, you know, speaking of 2001, uh, the original Carolina Courage was one of the first... WSA clubs. But uh, let's talk a little bit about, about your background because I know a lot of current um, WOSO fans, you know, either they came on board like with the 2011 Women's World Cup or 2015 or 2019. Mm-hmm. And I think they, you know, they don't know uh, the first generation of players. And, you know, you were part of that group, um, you know, under Ants Endurance, you know, so many great players coming out of North Carolina and that first uh women's world cup champion team which of course didn't get the coverage that 99 did and and all the years that followed but you know talk about some of your memories of of that cup because what's crazy to me is how many of those players uh were able to stick around and be part of not only the 99 world cup but the WSA and and yeah. some championship teams after that
3: Yeah you well yeah you know when i look back i mean i'm so proud of being you know part of that building block group and um and i really feel like and i think you know some of my uh opinion around it is a, a little bit um i just feel really really grateful and fortunate because i was also in the you know in the catbird seat with the with calling all the games and really being the voice of women's soccer Um, you know, as things kind of evolved, I was thinking, well, you know, certainly some of my teammates are going to start retiring and then they'll take over the booth. But it really actually took a while because a lot of them kept playing. Um, But I think I was a little bit more, uh, you know, just, just for, you know, averages, I was more the norm where I was out of college um, and I was, you know, trying to make ends meet and oh my gosh, we would go, we would beg to go on tour overseas because we'd get like $35 a day. Um, I think it was $10 domestic. And I mean, that was really, <laughs> you know, we had just crazy odd jobs working in restaurants and just trying to make ends meet. But, but, you know, I was one of those players that was out of college a couple of years and thinking, oh man, <laughs> I need to figure out a way to make a living. And, and, um, but you know and, and fortunately, I was building my business as a financial advisor, which i 'm still doing today um and doing all these other things at the same time, so it was a really wild time for me um uh, you know working with j p not only did we have a show of the week uh that turner you know TNT yes for w s a yes yeah yeah i mean, and we would just go i mean i would i would be you know during the week i'd be at my my, my normal job, let's say. And then I'd get to, you know, jet set off and meet JP in Atlanta for a, for a studio show on a Friday. And then we would head out to wherever the uh, match of the week was with the WSA. And I just remember that it was just such a whirlwind, good time. Um, uh, Exhausting at the end once, once we uh, got through that first season, but it was so much fun. Um, So I feel really fortunate because I was able to stay involved at that highest level in the broadcast booth. Um, and so I was around it. So I wasn't feeling the only time I had any kind of, you know, just a pang for a moment was in the 99 final when we won and my 91 team was down doing the victory lap with the 99ers. And I was up in the booth and I was saying, Oh, I really want to be down there, but you know what? I'm up here. (laughs) Um, and this is pretty cool too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I'm rambling because there's a lot of great memories, but I, I, I'm very proud to have been one of the, um, you know, early players to, you know, set those building blocks for the future for, for this incredible game that's impacted so many uh, young girls and boys all over the world. And um, it's just pretty awesome. I feel really grateful.
0: Well, and I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the travel that comes with the broadcast and also that it's not something that's necessarily a full-time job, right? It was something that you were doing alongside other other things. So uh, JP yeah. told me um, an anecdote that he remembers pretty clearly. He thought it was the first weekend of WSA, but he and I realized it was actually the second weekend of WSA where you guys called two games in one day in two different cities mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. you called the first ever game in Atlanta. So it was Atlanta versus New York power got on a plane to Carolina to call Carolina courage versus Boston breakers. And that's just insane. But I love that story.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good memory. Um, actually you just dusted that one off for me. Um, and you back there were, there were a lot of crazy times around that. Like I said, I just really felt like, where do we go next? Let's go. Let's do this.
0: And how did you first get into the booth? I mean, uh, was it just uh, like, hey, how do I stay around the game? Or someone said, hey, you're, you know all these players. Why don't you give it a try? Yeah,
3: so it was kind of interesting. Um, I was, when we were at the World Cup in 91, Ken Chartier was there. And he, at the time, was running, uh, you know, pretty much running uh Adidas soccer. Um, and he, and Adidas was our sponsor. Right. And, um, this this shows you how far back we go. Um, and he, and I was interviewing for a promotional job, um, with Adidas and my, I was trying to kind of hide for this interview. So my teammates wouldn't see me having this interview with him because I knew that every single person on that team would want that job that wasn't still <laughs> going to be trying to play. <laughs> uh, but it was pretty difficult in China to, you know, tuck away and right. and uh, hide for that. But anyway, so I came out of that, um, out of the world cup and it was at, you know, end of the year 91 and, and early in the spring, um, got the call that I had gotten the job. And so, um, uh, the Missouri athletic club, the Mac award was right. sponsored by Adidas. And I would get up and do the intro for that. And so, you know, Ken who in Adidas was the first sponsor of the, uh, the, do you remember the Chiquita cup? Am I yeah. Remembering that right? The Chiquita cup. Yeah. And so, so Ken just said, Hey, you know, I've seen you, you know, public speaking, maybe you could give this a try. And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, the, uh, you know it was just uh but it was fun and it was a great challenge and it was a different way to look at the field and look at the game and and to um you know calling the game I'm mean, I wasn't one of these kind of players who could just you know take the team on my shoulders and dance on the ball and um, you know make that happen I was very much of a tactical um player and so that parlayed over into being able to analyze the game well from the booth
0: a very important skill and you and JP yeah. got, got to call, um, th- that entire first season. I mean, the game of the week, you know, for, 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 that season, which also meant I'm pretty sure. So you called what one of the semis and the final, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about, um, I still remember that final cause it was, you know, what three, three in regulation, and then goes to penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I think that gets overshadowed a lot—it was more than twenty thousand people at the old Foxborough Stadium, um, you know, outside of Boston, with a game that's featuring two teams that are from nowhere near Boston, right? Like, yeah, like you, that, ha- you had you had this incredible momentum of of fans, not just from the '99 World Cup, but also the 2000 Olympics the following year, and just you know, like that it wasn't until the night no, until the 2019 end of yourself final that the attendance, no, 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 it must've been 2018. Um, the attendance eclipsed for a final eclipsed that, um, that mark. Right. And that was only because yeah. it was a home game. It was Portland playing in Portland.
3: Right. Yeah. That, oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, just to think about, you know, it was really, uh, you know, the timing was just so, so right coming out of hosting such an, incredibly um, successful 99 um, campaign and the world cup being here in the States. And I think the, I think the women's game was really, really taking off and more and more people were supporting it. And um, yeah, to think about that, that there's two teams that, you know, weren't from weren't local in that final is pretty remarkable for that big of a crowd.
0: And when you think about some of those players, I mean, you know, from the first season of WSA, especially that first game, like I was looking at uh, the the box score from that game, and mm-hmm. so much impact there, right? Not only the national teamers, you know, the names that that we all know, but some some of the names that maybe new new fans, current fans, aren't aware of, but have really had an impact. I look at you know Siri Molinex and Goal, who has been coaching at Clemson, right, and she's produced mm-hmm. goalkeepers like. Kaylin Sheridan, who all NWSL fans know, or Ann Cook um, coaching at Penn State, or Amanda Cromwell, you know, coaching at UCLA, Michelle French, you know, U20 coach. It's just like the, I don't know. I don't want to say the trickle down effect, but like just the, the contributions that 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 they've made and that it just keeps, it keeps building on, on all of that. And I think, you know, NWSL owes a debt to to WSA. Um, I know. I've seen the narratives recently where it's like, Oh, we don't want to mention those previous leagues that that failed, but you know, without WSA and, and then without WPS after it, there wouldn't be an NWSL, right? Like it's all, well, yeah, you've got to keep I building on you. top of it.
3: Yeah, and I think that if we had had too long of a gap after 99, I think maybe the um the momentum wouldn't have, you know, still been there the way it was. I think that was really it was just such an important time um, you know, to launch the league. I, I really do believe that if if there had been a, you know, a handful of years, we might have been set back a lot.
0: And one thing that I didn't realize at the time um, when I learned it, it kind of surprised me. But then I was also like, well, I should have known that 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 was the world's f- first fully professional women's soccer league, because there are leagues that predated in terms of, you know, Bundesliga or the Swedish League or the J League in Japan. But none of those were completely professional, meaning that every team in the league was paying salaries so that players didn't have to have you know, uh, other jobs. So it blows me away when I think about that, that that was only 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. it, it's huge. And then you think of where we are now that as NWSL going into its ninth season, had a pretty rough start because it started very quickly after the demise mm-hmm. of, of WPS and went from, you know, we're looking at five or six years ago where the minimum salary was 8000 Now mm-hmm. it's, it's, Twenty plus housing plus insurance plus you know all, all these things at the at the very minimum. So it's like it's amazing, uh, you know, the the growth. Um, but you know, think about for you. Like I, I know you played uh, towards the end um, of, of your career. In the W League, which I'm, I'm hearing we might see a resurrection of that. Uh, you yeah. know, so many of the national teamers before the WSA, they were surviving post college in semi pro leagues like the W League. I mean, like how do you how do you make that happen?
3: Yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, you touched on so many good points. Um, you know, leading up to this question, uh, it was the kind of thing where. I mean, it would. It just doesn't, it's not the way it is today for those players, um, but we were just, in order to make it happen, I mean, we had to have other jobs, you know, it was no way we could make ends meet otherwise. Um, it, it's so neat to see that it has come to the point where, where there can be some, you know, financial security for all these players so that they can just, you know, uh, focus on, you know, training, not... You know, focus on training, and then you know, sprinting out from training to go to your job so that you could pay your rent and uh, those types of things, and your health insurance. It's it's really it's so fun just to see how far it's come, and I I hope that um, you know this is just the beginning of something that will uh, keep getting better.
0: It's, and you're uh, this, you're still based in North Carolina, right?
3: I am. I'm in. I, I live in Chapel Hill. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you, so you can go to the the UNC games and, you know, to the, the, the new, what is it? The Anson Dorrance field at, at Fetzer field. Or is it just Anson Dorrance Mm -hmm. stadium? How did they rename it when they rebuilt Uh, it?
3: Dorrance field.
0: Okay. You know, so it's like, and you can be there in that new venue and think back like, Oh my God, I remember when, you know, we didn't have this or we didn't have this. And, you know, see the whole, the whole progress of it, which, I mean, all, all my listeners know I'm a junkie for for anything history wise right that like all this mm-hmm. stuff that's happened in in the last decade um you know all comes on top of everything that that came before it and and I love that we're coming full circle with you know in of that WSA inaugural game there's three players from that game who are now part of the ownership group of Angel City yeah you know, so it's, it's like amazing. that's just yeah that yeah that's crazy
3: yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's so important is that all of us uh, in our own ways needed to find out, you know, find ways to give back, continue to give back to the game. And it's, and really, if you look back and like you said, you know, being a history buff and seeing, uh, you know, how each individual is doing that, um, yeah, the stories are just unlimited um as far as different ways that that all the you know the early players and then from there on um you know are giving back all, like you said all the way up to being uh you know part owners of a franchise it's, it's amazing who would have thought
0: so, so last question for you Wendy um, any favorite memories of watching any NWSL games or maybe going to a an North Carolina Courage game in the NWSL era or
3: well, I am I am a huge Courage fan. Um, you know, my husband coaches. Uh, he's one of the assistants with with Paul, Riley. right? Um, and I, I just I mean I can't believe that that level of soccer is in our backyard. Um, and you know, if I can't be at a game, I'm watching it on my phone. Or um, and, I, and my favorite player right now is Dabinia. Not to go outside the U.S., but
0: she is just <laughs> she's amazing.
3: Oh. She has an engine that never quits, and just you know, tactically and technically, and the amount of uh, you know kilometers she she covers in a match and recovers from that, it, it's just it's just absolutely beautiful to watch.
0: Well, so if you had to get any USA players jersey right now, we know we know your Carolina Courage jersey would would say to being on the back. But what 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 player's name would you put on the back of a USA jersey? Um, I um. Current squad, current squad, no, no retirees. Well,
3: you know, you know, and this kind of, you know, shows my. My sort of tenure in the sport, but I I love seeing Carly Lloyd continuing to make a a difference. Um, I don't know how she's doing it; Uh, (laughs) she's clearly superhuman. Uh, But to see her, you know, in a leadership role and coming back from injury—I mean, that's just really, you know, one of those stories you can't ever get enough of. And she's, she's, you know, still making a huge impact on the field. Um, So I have a lot of respect. Um, I have a lot of respect for her. I I love Sauerbronn. Um, I think her leadership and again, you know, there's another player who's, who's, um, you know, some would say, well, how much longer are they going to play? Right. Um, so, but it's also exciting to see, you know, some of the young, um, up and coming players, but, but I think, you know, truly the leadership, um, that the veterans are providing is, is pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. It wasn't until, uh, last November that, uh, for the first time a player was capped who was born after the 1999 Women's World Cup.
3: Oh, <laughs> it was kind of I, crazy. I, it is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, find, I find myself having conversations, you know, somebody will say something like, well, you know, did you, you called that? Um, yeah. You know, Cause you know, a lot of these games have been replayed lately and they'll, right. they'll recognize my voice. Right. right. I have no idea, have no idea who I am or that I, but, and, and I'll say, well, you know, did you, you know, and I realized I'm like doing the math. I'm going to wait a minute. And I have to start asking the question, were you born <laughs> you know, at that time? <laughs> oh, Always a good question. Quite, yeah. Quite often I get the, uh, no, I was born in the early 2000s. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me things like that. Well, Wendy, right, thank right. you so much for, for sure. taking us down memory lane and keep up the good work being an NWSL fan.
3: Well, thanks. And uh, thanks for everything that you're doing to keep the game in the spotlight. We appreciate it.
0: Time to wrap it up with the back four. As most of you know, the Challenge Cup for 2021 is underway. We had four games last weekend. We have more this week. They're just going to keep on going. Each team will play four games, two home, two away. We've got two groups of five teams. You have to win your group to make it to the Challenge Cup final. Much tougher scenario than last summer. Now, if you're in the USA, all group stage games – are shown live either on CBS Sports Note Network or Paramount Plus. They won't be on both. They'll either be on CBS Network or Paramount Plus. If you're in Canada, it's the same deal, but yes, CBS Sports Network can be hard to find. Your best bet for getting access to CBS Sports Network if it's not already in your cable is signing up for YouTube TV or Fubo TV both offer free trials. Um, Highly recommend either of those if you don't normally have CBS Sports Network. For the rest of the world, every game is live on Twitch. But remember, if you're in the USA or Canada, you won't see any games on Twitch. And then the final, the Challenge Cup final on Saturday, May 8th will be aired live on the primary CBS network in the USA and Canada. You know, that regular national broadcast channel. And it will be on Twitch everywhere else. And we have a lot of college soccer conference tournaments wrapping up this week because this weekend, the NCAA will announce the 48 teams who will be in this year's NCAA tournament. Of course, delayed from last fall. Due to COVID, uh, with a lot of programs not competing, uh, it's been reduced to a 48-team tournament instead of the usual 64. And the Division One Final Four, a.k.a. the College Cup, will be played at Wake Med Park in Cary, North Carolina in mid-May. And those final games, you know, the two semis in the final, should air live on an ESPN outlet. And we now know the final two teams for the Tokyo Olympics this summer for the women's soccer tournament. China edged South Korea 4-3 on aggregate in the final Asian Confederation series, while Chile edge Cameroon 2-1 on aggregate in the South America Africa playoff series and we'll have updated FIFA rankings for women soon so once those are released then FIFA will have the draw for the Olympic tournament for both men and women's on April 21st the 12 teams will be sorted uh, into different pots based on their rankings and then they will be drawn into three groups of four teams each each and keep in mind that teams cannot be placed in the same group as any other team for their confederation so usa will not be in the same group as canada china will not be in the same group as host japan etc you can always find more information at fifa.com or if you're curious hey email keeper at keepernotes.com And last, if you enjoyed all the WSA chatter in this episode, one, thank you. But two, be sure to check out the WOSO Nostalgia channel on YouTube. There are a lot of historic WSA games posted there. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Got to give a big shout out to sponsor Roughneck Scarves. And also IcarusFC.com. If you're sick of the cookie cutter uniforms for your rec team, your kids team, go to IcarusFC.com and they will help you out. Also want to give a shout out to my producer, Sean Ringrose, whose podcast you can check out at anchor.fm slash gen orange. And that's G-E-N orange as in generation orange. It is a Houston Dynamo and Houston Dash podcast. So thanks to everyone for listening, subscribing, liking, sharing, emailing me questions. And of course, big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast.
1: But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.